This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks very much for joining us. For the third consecutive summer, we are spending time talking as part of our WDET book club. And this year, our pick was Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. We have talked with authors, with experts, and of course, with you about what the novel means in the context of our world today. You can tune into our book club discussions right here on the program, online, and at our Facebook group, which is called the WDET Book Club. A lot of you are now deep into reading Invisible Man, which was Ralph Ellison's award-winning 1952 novel. It is considered one of the most important works of the 20th century. And it's significant for Ellison's absurdist approach to storytelling, as well as for the book's frank discussions about race and identity in American society. Ellison's interrogation of power, of systemic racism, and of stereotypes has never felt more urgent or pertinent than it does right now. Today, we're going to talk with someone who thinks a lot about race and the media. His book, Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation, addresses the lack of representation and problematic stereotypes on television. NPR TV critic Eric Deggins, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's start here. Your book, Race Bader, was published back in 2012. What, if anything, do you think has changed in the media landscape since then? Well, everything's changed, and some things uh, never change. So, <laughs> Everything and nothing, you, right? <laughs> that's what you can depend on in, in, uh, in Hollywood. Um, well, you know, the scripted, I think the scripted side of television, um, the fictional side, has made the most progress. And, you know, when I wrote the book, <clears throat> um, TV, uh, broadcast TV, cable television, um, you know, these high-end um, premium cable channels like HBO and Showtime were just uh, starting to, to get started in terms of diversity and how they were depicting people of color. And there were still, I think, a lot of shows that were kind of backward about these issues um, that were on television. And, and you know, I, I started my chapter uh, on scripted television talking about uh, Two Broke Girls and, you know, that's long ago sitcom on CBS and, and you know, it had some pretty stereotypical characters of color on it and flash forward to today and especially for african-americans um, there's a much wider range of shows out there for people to experience you know everything from you know atlanta on fx to insecure on hbo mm. um, to blackish on abc um, you know there's there's a, a, a wide range sherman showcase on ifc i mean the, the fact that you know thirty percent of um, the Emmy nominees this year in in uh, major categories were black people mm. is 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 a sign that there's just so much more out there and so many more high quality venues uh, for uh, creative people of color in television. So that so that's that's much better. Um, you talk about other areas of television. You talk about, uh, for example, uh, reality television. Yeah. You know has not gotten um, has not gotten better, and um, you know certainly hasn't gotten better at the same pace is what I would say. You know they're they're just getting to the point where people are kind of looking at them and saying, 
you know, what, what about this show, Cops? You know, what, what about Live PD? You know, what about The Bachelor? What about, you know, you know people are, are finally starting to ask the really tough questions that, you know, frankly, I had in my book uh, back in 2012 about these, you know, shows like Big Brother and, and The Bachelor and Survivor and how they treat people of color. So, um, so, you know, like I said, you know, in some ways there's been a lot of progress. In some ways things haven't changed very much at all. Hmm. So uh, the 70s is a really pivotal decade for television and its depiction of black people. You say it ushered in a time when black people on TV could more openly address issues of oppression. But that shift came with its own set of, uh, of stereotypes. Talk more about that time in TV history, which, of course, is the time that I'm growing up uh, in America and watching television and noticing some of these depictions. Yeah, and, and in fact, to understand what happened in the 70s, I think you have to understand what happened in the 60s. So, so, so in the 60s, television was largely very escapist. Um, you know, of course, we didn't have cable television. It was all broadcast. We only had a few channels. And, you know, we had shows like Petticoat Junction and The Andy Griffith Show and Mayberry RFD. You know, these were all very escapist, very un- unrealistic uh, depictions of America at a time when America was going through uh, the biggest social upheavals um, that we had seen in a long time between, you know, multiple assassinations of people like um, you know, John F. Kennedy and, and Martin Luther King Jr. and the mm. Vietnam War and, 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 and race riots in the streets. And, and, you know, the stuff on television wasn't dealing, wasn't really dealing with that at, at all. And, um, you know, so you had these producers who wanted to create something that would uh, kind of deal with it and also figure out a way to add diversity to television. So uh, Sheldon Leonard, who some people might remember from the film It's a Wonderful Life, he played the... Uh, the bartender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Look at me, I'm giving out wings, you know, <laughs> if you remember that, that line. Well, he, he became a TV producer, and he actually created I Spy because he wanted to get Bill Cosby on television. And so um, the only way he could do it was by pairing him with a white actor. And, and so um, Bill Cosby and Robert Culp played these, you know, secret agents. And, and it helped that all of their adventures were outside the U.S., so they didn't have to worry about depicting how things were in America. And, and then we also had Diane Carroll with, um, with Julia, and, and we had the rise of this character that I called the Super Negro, where um, you know, black people had to be so perfect to stand mm. next to white people. Um, you know, Robert Culp's character was um, you, you know, a tennis pro, but you know, kind of a tennis bum. You know, <laughs> and, 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 um, and, and, and uh, Bill Cosby's character was his trainer. But uh, you know, he was also someone, Bill Cosby's character, he he was a Rhodes Scholar. He spoke seven languages. He was a martial arts expert. <laughs> he had to be all these things in order to stand next to a white guy on television, uh, somewhat as his equal. Hmm. But then we get to the to the 70s, and I think there's there was a there's a real sense that TV has to start getting more realistic, more authentic, has to really talk about what's happening. And Norman Lear kind of pioneered that with All in the Family, where he finally gives us. Uh, a sitcom centered around a family in Queens where uh, it, it's, it's the way people were actually talking. Mm. You know, uh, Archie Bunker, um, you know, was talking the way a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of middle-aged white men were talking in their homes at that time. And, and you know, the the um, CBS did, did some polling around the show after its first season, and they found that even though Norman Lear set up all in the family so that Archie Bunker would kind of be the butt of the joke, you know, look at how ignorant this guy is, 
30% of their audience thought Archie Munker was the hero of the show, <laughs> and everyone else was were the people who were who were the butt of the joke. So, um, so so he was speaking. He was speaking authentically and speaking in a way that a lot of people were th- were speaking at the time, and then that led to the creation of more realistic shows depicting black people. So we saw uh, good times get get created where. Um, you know, a family and a housing project in, uh, in in Chicago, and then we saw what's happening come. You know, and and this is um, you know Sam, Sanford and Son with Fred Sanford um, as a as a junkyard owner in Los Angeles, and 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 this is the rise of what I used to call um, the ghetto comms. So we we got more realistic depictions of one level of black people, but they were all in um, you know poor neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, with failing infrastructure. And you know, making jokes out of living in situations that were pretty, um, pretty bad. Hmm. So um, on the one hand, you know, like I was a young black kid growing up in Gary, Indiana, in the '70s, my father wasn't in my house. So to turn on Good Times and see, you know, at least in in the early um, seasons of the show, an intact family where dad was home and he was taking care of the kids and. Um, you know, education was valued in the household, and, um, you know, they were doing the best they could in desperate circumstances, you know, that re- that was the kind of life I, I wanted to be living, in a way, you know. <laughs> so um, so I could look on TV and at least see some people who looked like me who were kind of in the situation that I was in, uh, but the, but Dad was home, and, 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 and you know, I, I, that resonated with me. Um, and I'm sure it resume- resonated with a lot of black folks. Yeah. Um, and and so that's that's where we where we how we got to the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So in Invisible Man, uh, you know, the narrator struggles with this burden of black stereotypes, as you're talking about. You know, in the beginning of the novel, the narrator's family encourages exaggerated civility and subservience in order to combat white racism. And this kind of mirrors that that initial impression of black people on TV that you write about in in your book what's interesting is that's that's something from the 50s and yet you still see it happening as late as the 70s and maybe even into the 1980s yeah well i mean again so the primary mode of television in the 70s and 80s is still broadcast television and broadcast television is funded by advertising and so advertisers are are who um, help determine mm-hmm. what gets on television because uh, you can have the the best TV show in the world that draws the biggest ratings in the world, but you know if advertisers don't want to put their ads on the show, then that there's no way to turn that viewership into money. Um, so so I think one reason why stereotypes about black characters and black people and black culture persisted in television in the 70s and 80s is because. Um, you know, Madison Avenue and the, adver- in the nation's advertising industry was largely white, and 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 they had those stereotypes, and uh, you know wouldn't necessarily support um, a TV show that would be uh, too um, um, uh, too forward-looking, too adventurous in breaking those stereotypes. And you know, I, I think it's it's telling that aside from the Cosby Show, which was a way of breaking stereotypes in the most positive, least disruptive way. Hmm. Um, you know, some of the more um, 
uh, groundbreaking portrayals of black people that we saw were either on upstart networks like Fox or they were on uh, HBO uh, with The Wire and before that, The Corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Eric Deggins, NPR TV critic and author of the book Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation. We're talking with Eric as part of our WDET book club in which we're reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison and talking about the themes in that book written in 1952 that are still really present with us in 2020. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and talk about representation and how you feel or don't feel represented by depictions of people like you on television. Do you, did you feel represented on TV growing up? Do you feel represented now? How do you feel about the current media landscape and the way it depicts African-Americans and African-American life? And do you think that those depictions contribute to some of the divide that we see in our country. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Eric, I want to ask you about TV today, where I I feel like we have not only a, a, a richer sort of menu of uh, depictions of African Americans uh, on, on television and in movies, but where African Americans are now in control of those depictions. You you mentioned Atlanta uh, earlier, uh, Insecure, uh, shows like that, which are not just featuring black actors, uh, but they are conceived by and uh, directed and driven by African-Americans, the depiction, of course, looks very different. Uh, And even when it it levels criticism or makes fun of uh, black people, which is is something that happens a lot on Atlanta, I feel like, uh, it, it comes across differently because it's coming from somebody who has had uh, those experiences. It seems like we're in a really different era now than we were before. Yeah, well, you know, you you know, uh, somebody you can crack jokes about your brother or sister <laughs> right. that you would never tolerate somebody making who's outside of your family, and so you know, there's a difference between sort of in group talk mm-hmm. and 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 talk about your group from outside. Um, but I think you know one thing that's really important in today's television uh, is authenticity. You know, uh, younger viewers especially uh, really value that, and they have a very keen sense for when they're watching a TV show that is inauthentic. Mm. So, so in order to get authenticity, um, you really have to um, let the people who are being depicted tell their own stories. That is, um, you know, that's been a big lesson, I think, for scripted television, is that you know you you really have to develop talented storytellers of, uh, of color and then let them tell their stories. You know um, this, this amazing show on HBO that just debuted called Lovecraft. Country. Yes, yes. You know here's a here's a, um, a series that basically takes a black family and kind of puts them in, inside the narratives that we normally uh, see white people in in terms of. Uh, horror and sorcery mm-hmm. anthology stories, right? 
And, and one reason why it feels so authentic is because a black woman, Misha Green, is the showrunner and, um, and helped and developed the show. Um, you know, Watchmen, even though the showrunner on uh, HBO's Watchmen, which is another example of taking sort of a white-centered genre and putting black characters at the center of it, um, you know, the showrunner that was Damon Lindelof, who's a white man, but he had a lot of black writers helping him craft that story mm-hmm. uh, because that's really how you get the cultural nuances um, right, and that's how you get things to the point where, um, you know, it, it feels like, it's something that could be happening. It feels like an authentic representation of culture. And I, I think TV's biggest challenge now is to develop creative voices, um, non-white creative voices that are not black. It's time mm-hmm. to develop more Latino voices. It's time to develop uh, more um, Muslim and, and, and Arab voices. It's time to develop more Asian American, Asian voices. You know, it, it is it is time to expand that palette so that, you know, next year or the year after, 30% of the nominees will be non-white, and they won't all be black. Right. <laughs> you right. know, we'll, right. we'll, we'll have more diversity, and we'll have more stories told. I mean, you know, the thing to me, what's, be- what's best about this is that you get better television. Hmm. You know, wa- there's a reason why Watchmen got more Emmy nominations than any other uh, series. This, this time around. It's, a, it's an amazing show. Mm. And one reason why it's amazing is because of what it says about race, and particularly what it says about race in terms of the comic book industry and the superhero industry's long legacy of centering white culture in its narratives. And Watchmen just takes that table and just turns it on its head. And, and that's one reason why it's so impactful. And, 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 and I think... When you add diversity, you just add the chance to do that more, to challenge these narratives that we've all gotten used to and give us something that feels fresh and different and, 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 and authentic. Uh, and, and, and that's the great, that's, that, that's what hurts media and television the most when you have uh, a lack of diversity and you have oppression of certain voices. You, you are denied the quality of their story. And, 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 you know, once you lift that oppression, you know, the, the, the quality of storytelling just goes, it goes way up. Yeah. Yeah. OK, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Eric Deggins, a TV critic for NPR. And we are going to get to your calls. John and Dearborn, Norman and Bloomfield Hills, Brian and Gross Point. We'll hear from you next. If you want to join them on the phones? 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Here's an update from WDET General Manager Mary Zatina. At the beginning of June, WDET shared the news that we needed to raise $2 million before our fiscal year ends September 30th. You are responding in a generous and heartwarming way. Hundreds of current members made an extra gift. 700 long-lapsed members joined again. We welcome you back with open arms. And over 500 brand new members made their very first gift to WDET because they, like you, appreciate what we do and want to support this nonprofit community service. 
We have well over a million dollars to go, but there's a spring in our step and a song in our heart knowing we travel this journey with you. Thank you. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Eric Deggins, NPR's TV critic and author of the book, Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation. We're talking about depictions of African Americans on TV across time. We're also talking about how that relates to our summer book club read, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Uh, we want to hear from you about depictions of people like you on television, whether you're African American or fall into another demographic category. How how accurate do you think those depictions are? How represented do you feel by those media predictions? As always, the number on the phone is 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Norman in Bloomfield Hills. Norman, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hi, how are uh, you? I'd like to thank uh, DET for their, I've been a longtime listener, and you guys keep uh, keep it real. Thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, as we, you guys were talking, uh, I realized, you know, how much I'm, I'm a gay man and living in a world where for so long we waited for a positive stereotype on TV and even still it's questionable and how much negative influence that had on how I viewed myself. And uh, hmm. in the long term, effects of that, you know, didn't make life easy for me, but seeing positive influences I could see and relate to other minorities that have suffered a negative stereotype as the depiction you see on your evening and entertainment. Yeah. So, Norman, I, I don't know how old you are, but I wonder if you can talk about the first time you remember a depiction of, uh, of a gay character on, on television. What, what's your first memory of that? I think it might have been a MASH series uh, where they had a gay man on there that was shunned, huh. you know, and just, uh, and uh, most, most even uh, Archie Bunker, you mentioned earlier, you know, they had a, a gay character. He always gave a negative spin to anyone who is gay. Right. I do remember that from, from all in the family. You know, Norman, one of the first depictions I remember was on the show Soap. Uh, and uh, Billy Crystal, I think probably in his first major role, uh, was was played the gay son of of the couple on on that show. And I don't know if I would call call that a a positive or a negative uh, portrayal. I don't remember too much about it, but I but I do yeah. remember. I, I actually that. Uh, I actually was a fan of that show, and uh, and I, I very much remember that depiction, and for the time especially. Um, you you would call it a positive portrayal, but the but the problem, and this was something that persisted on television for many years, is that you never actually saw. Number one, you rarely saw him with another gay person, uh, like interacting you, you never, with someone. You never saw him um, really being that romantic, um, and, and and of course, you know, kissing and sex and bedroom uh, situations. You you would not. See, even though the heterosexual characters were doing that, mm. and and this right. was something I noticed, you know, even 
uh, into even into the 90s, this was a problem where, you know, you would have characters that were, you know, John Goodman starred, I'm sure nobody remembers this, but John Goodman starred in a, in a, in a sitcom called Normal Ohio where he played a gay man. I don't remember and, that. Wow. And it was so weird because he was not really that romantic with anybody. Like, mm. how do you, you know, he talked about being gay all the time, but you never saw representations of gay culture. You never really saw him involved with anyone. You never saw him holding someone's hand or kissing another man, you know, you know, let alone, you know, in bed with someone, you know, in the, in the way that they would uh, often show in, in between heterosexual characters sure. on, you know, sitcoms like Friends or Mad yeah. About You or Frasier or whatever. You always had these scenes where people who were couples would be in bed talking about something. Right. Uh, right. And, and so that, that was always, that, that was a, a frontier that, that, uh, that uh, broadcast television had to had to get over in the 90s was you know not you can't just have characters announce that they're gay you know <laughs> you, you you just have to show that they show their lives gay because sure. they're uh, who they're in love with who they hold hands with you know who who they have dinner with who they go dancing with you know and and who who they share their bed with yeah yeah norman i really appreciate the call uh, and and the comments. Let's go to John in Dearborn. John, welcome to the show. Yes, Eric and Stephen. Mm-hmm. I hope that you, between the two of you, can make a, a a wonderful, enlightening discussion of a program that I enjoyed watching in the 1950s, Amos and Andy. <laughs> Could you examine that program, please? Absolutely, John. I appreciate the call uh, and and that memory. I am too young to have watched Amos and Andy when it was on television. Of course, I know the reference uh, to it from my parents and and others. Eric, I will will give you first crack at that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've watched it um, both as somebody who's, uh, mostly as somebody who studies television. Uh, But Amos and Andy, so the TV show was basically... um, uh, like a lot of early TV shows in the 1950s, was was uh, a TV version of a radio show. And the radio show was a show about two black men who were friends uh, and their adventures, and they were heavily stereotypical. They talked in a heavy dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not that smart. Um, you know, there, there, there was a lot of hijinks built around, uh, you know, sort of their... Um, you know, um, na- naivete and 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 also um, their laziness and, um, and 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 living in this sort of all black universe where everybody was like that. Now the radio show, um, white men were doing the voices, right? Uh, but of course, when they did the TV show, um, they did, they they weren't going to have those white guys in blackface or anything, so they hired black actors. And, and, and this is a situation, this is something that often happened um, in the early days of television. It, it sometimes happens even now, where talented black actors are forced to portray um, heavily stereotypical roles. Mm-hmm. And so they wind up creating a show that was at times funny, um, that had at times great performances in it, but at its core was heavily stereotypical. Um, and 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 heavily insulting yeah. black people, and the NAACP, uh, you know, mounted a campaign against it. I think it lasted a couple of years on television um, before it was taken off. I think uh, you know, I'm not remembering. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't have the years you know 
uh, emblazoned in my brain. But but um, but you know, a lot of black people watched the show and enjoyed it. But a lot of black people also were, were incredibly offended by it yeah. and wanted it off the airwaves. And and you know, another show called Beulah, uh, centered on a black maid, mm-hmm. same problem. Yeah, you know, you talented black actress playing this role, but uh, heavily stereotypical. And, and you know, the previous caller um, talked about something about television that's really important. Mm-hmm. Television teaches us how to dream. Yeah, uh, yes. Television teaches us what is possible in our lives and what is possible for people like us. Mm-hmm. And so not only uh, is Amos and Andy and Beulah hurtful for the stereotypical images that it presents of African Americans, it is teaching America what black people are capable of in that moment. And, and, and limiting it to that. Yeah. What they're capable of in that moment. And so it's, 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 it's indoctrinating people to accept uh, you know, oppression as a natural um, uh, lot, lot in life. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's, I think, the, the most grievous um, impact of yeah. Yeah. Okay, Eric Deggins, NPR TV critic. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks very much for being here for this conversation. Thanks for having me. It's going to do it for us today. Remember to join us at 8 p.m. tonight for our WDET virtual book club meeting where we will discuss more of Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Also, come back tomorrow when we're going to recap the DNC and talk about the role of black voters in the November election. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.